Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies to make a difference in the social impact world. My name is Krish Martinez, one of the digital advertising whalers here at Whole Whale and your host for today's show. Thanks for listening. I'm really excited about today's episode. Today on the pod, we have Elizabeth Eddy, co-founder and CEO of Lantern, which is a step-by-step guide to life before and after a death. Elizabeth is also a board member of Experience Camps, which provides camps for grieving children. Thanks, Elizabeth, for coming on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I think this will be a really important conversation. So let's just dive right in. Right. Uh, can you talk about Lantern, its mission, and why it's important? Absolutely. So our big vision for Lantern is to be the one brand, the one location that you know, where you can find all the tools, resources, services that you need for end of life and death planning. So that might mean that you are planning for the future uh, in your life to make sure all of your affairs are in order for your loved ones, or it might be that you're in sort of a heat of the moment uh, situation of losing someone um, and needing to navigate those logistics that follow. Yeah, I was able to take a look at the site. I did a little bit of homework before our episode, um, and it has really great resources. Um, my mom is always like trying to prepare me for when she dies, and it's always like conversations in the air, you know, like, oh, I want this, I want that. But I think what Lantern really provides are those concrete steps on actions on what you should be doing. Um, That's amazing that your mom does that. I yeah. always encourage people. I'm like, the best thing you can do is make it a normal conversation because yeah. I found so often when people start doing end of life planning, it's the first time they've ever brought it up with their kids mm. or their spouse. And it's so awkward. <laughs> if, you, if you're able to just have it always be a topic, then it, it isn't weird when it's brought up. My, my mom always did that for me as well. Yeah, uh, my my dad passed away when I was young, so mortality has always been just very sort of front yeah. of our story as a family. But my mom has always said, like, "Oh, you know, I want this music played at my funeral, or I want it to be yeah. here, or I like these flowers, or whatever." And uh, and it, truly, it's made it less uncomfortable to discuss, and and maybe part of why I'm so comfortable running a business like this. <laughs> Yeah, totally agree. Um, I do agree. Like the first couple times I was like, can you not? <laughs> but um, they're really important conversations. And I think especially with COVID being around and um, police brutality really being at a high, death is really at the forefront of everybody's minds, right? Yeah. And I, I always like to remind people too that pre-planning doesn't inherently make you die. <laughs> I think yeah. people have this weird like superstition about it that it's like if I talk about it, then it's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, right? Like <laughs> Yeah. No need to worry there. Um so do you think COVID has changed the way that people approach death and grieving? Um, both in the in people's personal lives, like just death being on the news so often and you know, everywhere we go, um, and even in professional lives for those who have lost somebody um, and trying to navigate both this pandemic and also grieving. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's, um, it has brought mortality to the forefront of 
of everyone's minds. There are certainly some people who are very much already in touch with their own mortality, but I, mm. I, I would venture to say the vast majority, it's not something that that's really often thought about, or if it is, mm. it's very quickly pushed out of, out of your mind. Yeah. Um, and I think this scenario has made people realize that um, it's something that needs to be addressed. It's something that needs to be prepared for. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we're tagged in articles and stories mm. of people in, you know, in the hospital, in the ICU with COVID mm -hmm. and the message is the same over and over again. It's, you know, have your advanced care directives, have your pre-plans in order. There was a comedian a few months ago who made a video from the ICU that said, you do not want to have to do your end of life planning from a hospital bed. Like, you know, figure it out in advance so you know exactly what needs to be done and you don't have to add this added level of, of stress on your on your your friends or your family members, um, so I think you know there is of course this this recognition of, of our own mortality. But then on the flip side, I think it's also um, you know through COVID and through the Black Lives Matter movement, um, it's also made people really start to see and understand that the death and dying is not equal, and mm -hmm. it's not um, a good death is not afforded to everybody. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think it's so important for, for our industry and as individuals to recognize that this vision of what, what dying well means, right? Like mm -hmm. having uh, dying in your 90s and having your family members yeah. around you and like sort of this vision that you have of like what a good death is, whatever that might be, mm -hmm. that it's not afforded to everybody. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and what can we do as a company, as a, an industry, as a society to, to address that? Yeah. And it's really interesting that you kind of bring up like what dying well means. I feel like often people talk about, yeah, you know, I plan on dying, you know, in my sleep when I was, when I'm like a hundred years old. And most times it doesn't really happen like that. Um, and really preparing and planning for that as well. Um, which I think I really love about Lantern. It really kind of solidifies it in a way that doesn't make it feel too sad or, um, which it is, but really taking those concrete steps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I and mean, I think if you, you know, especially if you are planning your end of life as a healthy, vibrant young person, it, it is, it's almost less scary because it yeah. doesn't feel as imminent. It doesn't feel as real. And you can think mm. about things in a, a more open way. Like we actually see a, a lot of young people who find, uh, find it like meditative, find it peaceful, uh, mm -hmm. an opportunity for reflection of like, what's important to you? What do you really mm -hmm. want? What, how do you want to be remembered? Um, and there's a lot of studies about mortality and, um, and how if you feel a deeper connection to your own mortality and a recognition for it, can actually make you a much happier person um, mm -hmm. because you are you know, aware of your, the finite time that you have. So you spend your time better, you love harder. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you, you, know, you spend time with people you want to spend time with. Um, it can be yeah. really powerful. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I think even in that same vein, um, again, we're in a pandemic that's really unprecedented in a lot of ways. Um, and people, we're trying to move on with life the best that we can, going to work, uh, trying to live as normally as possible. Um, how do you think employers and employees can support each other when it comes to someone who has lost somebody important to them? Yeah, well, from the employer side, I think, I think, I hope I'm starting to see that employers are realizing um, good bereavement policies, good bereavement mm -hmm. benefits, um, and support around end of life and death for their employees is, is critical. 
it's yeah. a it should be a non-optional benefit. I, I mean, you know, we already have life insurance, which is basically death insurance at most <laughs> at most jobs at this point. And the fact yeah. that we haven't taken that same care and consideration for the logistics and and the bereavement and um, you know the things that that take a ton of time and energy and emotional distress and and mm -hmm. employers don't really put any hand on that. If you mm -hmm. if a company even has a bereavement policy, it's typically way too short. The average is about three days. Um, which you wow. can imagine if you lose someone close to you three, you three days, you're not even as a friend of mine said, she's like three days after my husband died, I didn't even like want to tie my shoes, let alone, you know, go back to work. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think there, there's a lot of room for growth there, uh, from the employer side, you know, one, just having a really strong bereavement policy. Mm -hmm. uh, we really encourage companies to actually draw a, a minimum for their bereavement time, hmm. uh, but not a maximum. So to actually put a floor, right? Because yeah. you can imagine if uh, an individual, there's no time frame. Like a lot of employers will say, oh, we don't want to put a time on bereavement. Like we'll let the employees kind of, and managers kind of figure out mm. how much time the person needs. And in theory, that's a wonderful, beautiful thing. But yep. in practice, what ends up happening is people feel uncomfortable asking for more time. They don't know what they're allowed to take. They end up looking at the national standard of, of three days and saying, well, I guess that's roughly what I should be taking. Yeah. Uh, and then also, you know, it does put in place the, the possibility that some people might get more time and be afforded more, mm -hmm. um, while others might be looked down upon for taking more. And, mm -hmm. and, and those kind of biases happen really easily if you don't have any kind of groundwork laid out. So we really do encourage put a floor, say, you know, for us, um, we say three weeks, um, yeah. generally, and we say it's three weeks for what we call a, a quote, immediate family member as defined by the individual. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't necessarily mm -hmm. mean mom, dad, spouse, child, if your immediate family member is your aunt, is your best friend that you live with is whatever, like that's up to the person yeah. and to trust your employees that they're not going to take advantage of a policy like this. They're going to, they're going to do what they need to do. Um, and you know, if you're, if you've hired them, you should trust that they're going <laughs> to handle it the right way. Um, yeah. and then, you know, also just making sure you have, uh, your managers, you know, well-trained to be able to have these kind of conversations to properly support your employees that are going mm -hmm. through this, um, to take care of themselves as they're, they're navigating this process and to feel safe that they can be vulnerable and open about the experience they're going through. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely identify with that first part. I had a relative who passed away earlier in the year and um, there wasn't any like push for me to go back to work anytime soon. There was definitely no pressure, like you said, but I kind of felt a little bit of guilt, you know, like taking time off, being away for a couple of days to the point where I was like updating Slack every day, like, hey, everybody, I'll take another day. I'll be back soon. I'll take another day. I'll be back soon. Um, yeah, you don't, you don't know. Yeah, you don't know what, uh, what is okay. And what's yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I, we hear that all the time. And, it, and it's, you know, it's based on good intentions. But yeah. um, having some guidelines, especially, you know, if you say, you know, two weeks, three weeks, however long it is, it also gives that person permission to not reach out for a week or two yeah. <laughs> and, and just say, okay, I know I at least have this. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so important. Yeah. I definitely think having that floor level is really important. One, not only to make 
employees feel a little more comfortable, but also having that time to unplug and kind of really have that time to grieve, right? Like it can be kind of hard to grieve when you're updating Slack every other day saying, oh, I'll be back soon or checking in every once in a while. Um, so having that policy, I think is really great too. And it's time to feed the whales with a quick ad about Whole Whale University. This is our best online content packaged in courses. We're talking SEO, content marketing, Google ad grants, cybersecurity, and tons of webinars and other templates for you to use. You can buy them individually or as an annual subscription. Uh, we really put our best work in here. And if you're interested in the topics in this podcast that we tend to cover, we go a mile deep with these courses. That's wholewhale.com slash university. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm also wondering if you have any ideas on maybe bereavement training for employees and employers. Like, what are you, do you think are the best ways to um, communicate with someone who may have lost somebody um, without being overbearing in a way where I'm sure that a lot of people who have lost somebody can feel overwhelmed with, how are you feeling? How are you doing? How are things? Um, but while also showing care. We actually provide a webinar for employers and for managers to be able to uh, learn just the ways to have really empathetic and supportive conversations and creating a uh, inclusive environment around grief. And I think mm -hmm. one of the, the most important things um, is setting that space up before it's needed. And of course, mm -hmm. there, that's not always you know a possibility, but I really encourage employers to uh, to do the research, to, you know, do our webinar or someone else's webinar, to, um, to train your employees before you're in a crisis or a situation where somebody hasn't handled it well, partially because, of course, you always want to offer every employee a, a really supportive, safe environment. But you also want to create that space uh, where people feel comfortable coming forward. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've had employers say to me, oh, well, we haven't really had a situation like that happen. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you have you know, 20,000 employees. If you think that no one is grieving ever, let alone like they're, they're likely many, many right now in this moment, yeah. then you haven't created an environment where people feel safe to come forward. They're just not telling you. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But then on the, you know, on the flip side, uh, being an employee who's grieving and going back to work, uh, there are a couple of things that I, I always really try to encourage people to do. I mean, one is to make sure you ask for what you need, partially because it, you, know, it, you deserve it and you should take the time that you need and get the support that you need. But mm -hmm. also if you don't, you're going to build resentment towards your company. And mm -hmm. it, it happens so often, you know, you go back too early and then you're frustrated by your job, by your team, by your manager, because um, you're there too soon. And yeah. so making sure you really are understanding what you need from the time. And it might be, you know, okay, can I work from home, you know, two mm. days a week or, you know, the, the pre-COVID, mm. pre <laughs> you know, or whatever yeah. it might be to just sort of ease back into the process. And, and I found for the most part, managers tend to be, and employers tend to be very flexible when you do ask for things, um, particularly around the loss. Um, the second I always tell people is to have an escape plan. I know that sounds, oh. that sounds silly, but, and this is true at work and this is true in your personal life. Mm -hmm. Um, before you're going somewhere, going into the office, going to a holiday party, whatever it is, prepare yourself in advance for, okay, if I start to feel upset and I need to get out, how am I going to do it? What, mm -hmm. what do I need to do? Is there a room I can go to? Is there a stairwell that I know there's not a lot of foot traffic? Is there a walk that I really like? Yeah. Um, can I 
uh, can I make sure that the friend I drove to this, you know, holiday company holiday party with that they're going to leave with me whenever I'm ready to go. And they already Mm -hmm. know that, um, because you might not need it, but I think it's very comforting to know, okay, I have a plan if I need the space. Um, and then lastly, it's just like knowing who you can talk to and lean on and, Mm -hmm. Ideally, in an office place, your you know your manager, your teammates have already made that clear to you. But if they mm-hmm. haven't, you know, identifying is there someone in the office where you feel really comfortable going up to them and saying, "Hey, can can we walk and get a coffee?" or "Can I mm-hmm. can I zoom with you?" or you know whatever the situation might be. Yeah. Um, or is it somebody that's out of the office that that can help you know to comfort in those situations? Yeah, I think those are all like really great ideas that I'd never even thought of, you know, when an employee is grieving, you always want to ease them back into the workplace, right? But it can kind of seem like easing back into the workplace is almost impossible when there's so much work to be done, you know, things pile up, uh, team members need you. But I really love that idea of just maybe coming back for a couple days a week, um, maybe two or three to start and then inching forward day by day, really, um, is really great practice. Yeah. And also you're like, as a manager, I think you have a responsibility to really learn what the needs are of, of the employee. Cause I, mm-hmm. I found you know, people are vastly different in how, and mm-hmm. how they navigate grief. And there are some people who for X amount of time, just they really, they can't even think about work. It's just, yeah. it, there, there isn't the space for it. And, it. and it's not an optional, right? It's not like you're going through this process and you're like, oh, I'm not going to think about it. When you're grieving, there, you have no brain space for it. It's just, it, it's, not, it's not available. And then there are some people who they just want to go back to work as soon as possible. They're mm-hmm. like, I, I, I want to just try to, to get back into my routine. I want to try mm-hmm. to feel whatever normal was again. It, it's a part of your coping mechanism. There's a lot of different yeah. reasons why I'm one of those people. Like I, I seek out how like distraction and, and you know and I'm not saying it's the right thing there yeah. are certainly I'm sure there will be uh some some group therapists out there that hear me say that and they're like oh we need to talk about why you do that um but you know it's the reality we have we all have different coping mechanisms whether they're good or bad yeah. and some people really they they want to come back to work maybe more quickly than they should mm-hmm. and um and so as a manager you know your job is is really to understand how, how the person is coping, what makes them feel supported and safe. Is it that they really want to come back to work and, and, and continue to, to move through their grief in that way? And is that, mm-hmm. is that the right thing for them? Or, yeah. you know, do they need more time? Because you also don't want to force someone to say like, no, you cannot come back if, yeah. <laughs> if, they're, if they feel ready. So yeah, <laughs> definitely on the opposite end of the spectrum there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. And I also love that second point that you made about escape routes, um, which I think can be applied to a lot of aspects of life, Um, not just grieving, but it kind of seems like working from home, being uh, in the same space where you rest is also the same place that you work. Um, Escape can kind of seem not always an option. Um, Do you have any advice on different ways that people can grieve, escape, while also being in the same space that they might be working from and be stressed in? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's really challenging. I mean, the, the COVID era for grief and loss has added a whole new layer of complications, especially around distance from people that make you feel loved and supported. Right. Like that's, I mean, that's the biggest thing we, we hear from, from our users and and from, you know, people also in my personal life that have lost someone recently is you don't, the normal things you would lean on, 
Like for example, mm -hmm. uh, going through old photos with your family members to look at a lost, a lost loved one and, and talk about memories. Like you don't have that same kind of access and support, even like feeling a hug from a parent, mm. <laughs> you know, you don't have that kind of support. Yeah. Um, but I think in terms of, you know, being in the same space and really creating, creating space for yourself, I mean, there's so many different things. Um, ritual is so important. Um, it means it, it means something different to a lot of different people. Some of the things that I've heard uh, recently have been, uh, you know, taking a moment at the beginning or the end of the day to turn everything off, to sit next to the window, you know, looking outside and light a candle and just reflect. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it can yeah. be it can be that simple. Um, yeah. It's really about creating space for it. Mm -hmm. um, I one of the things that I've started doing, um, truly just started right when COVID began, um, but I think it's really powerful is starting and ending your day um, just briefly writing. So mm -hmm. I write three things in the morning that, um, that I'm looking forward to mm -hmm. and about the day. And yeah. then at the end of the day, it's three things that you're grateful for uh, from mm -hmm. that day. <laughs> and it just really <laughs> sets like a nice tone and, and energy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and again, it, it's something, you know, really accessible to do. Um, and can create kind of a different space in, in your environment. Yeah, I love that. And like you said, there are so many different ways that you can try to rest up a little bit um, in the space that you're working in, um, even if it might not seem like a very big thing, like writing three things down, it could really make all the difference. Yeah. I'm also wondering about uh, employees, not so much on the employer side, but kind of creating that community in an office space where if one of your colleagues is grieving how do you think are the best ways that an employee can uh support their colleague um without again being overbearing in any way mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean i think you know first and foremost like as you know empathetic compassionate humans mm -hmm. we we all want to be i say all I, i'm putting us all together in here we all want to be the <laughs> first to, to to jump and help someone and support someone and i do encourage people to, to think like, am, am I the right person to be, you know, saying, Hey, do you want to talk? Do you want to go for a walk? Do you want to mm -hmm. whatever? Um, because not every single person within an office is, is the right person for that individual to be leaning on. Um, yeah. and they, you know, they'll be able to choose and feel out, you know, who, who it is. They probably already know well who it is that they want to open up to. So, yeah. you know, not taking offense if the person doesn't want to talk to you about <laughs> it. And like, that's okay. There are a lot of other ways to show support for that person mm -hmm. where it might be, you know, saying, Hey, you know, if, if you're having a rough day or you need extra, extra help with X projects, like, you know, I'm, I'm happy to help support you on that. Or, um, you know, leaving a nice note on their desk mm -hmm. or, you know, like there are little things you can do without, you know, feeling like you have to be deeply involved in, in, in their situation because they probably don't want you to be. If you yeah. are that person, you are the person that they want to, to lean on and to talk to and to be supported, supported by, um, a couple of things in the workplace that I, I always try to remind people is one, like if you're going to go up to them and ask them, you know, how they're feeling or whatever it is, like try to do it in a private space. Mm -hmm. um, if you're in the middle of an open office space and you say, Hey, you know, how are you feeling today? And they're feeling awful. Yeah. Uh, you know, you don't want to be the one tearing up in the middle of your office. And I especially <laughs> know, like, yeah. I mean, I know I'm this way. Once I, if I start crying in public, 
I then get embarrassed and then I cry more. <laughs> so, <laughs> never ending cycle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, and then you're like, oh, I cannot believe I'm crying in the middle of my office. Yeah. <laughs> you don't, yeah. You don't want to put someone in that situation. So saying, you know, like, Hey, can we chat for a minute? Let's go for a walk or let's go mm-hmm. wherever. And then, and then saying, you know, I just want to see how you were doing. Yeah. Um, you can also do things like, you know, making sure if you're going to offer to help someone be really specific about what it is that you're offering, uh, mm-hmm. asking someone, Hey, can I help you with anything? Or can I do anything for you? Then puts the onus on that person to like, to come up mm-hmm. with something. Yeah. <laughs> or, not, yeah, exactly. And also to like, not know how much to ask for, mm-hmm. or, and then you usually end up just saying, Oh no, I'm good. I don't need anything. But mm-hmm. instead, you know, saying, you know, Hey, uh, I'm going to come over on Sunday and mow your lawn or, um, or I know, you know, you're, you're shuffling kids back and forth to daycare. How about I come by, you know, mm. every morning this week and, and do the, the walkover or whatever, you know, I, yeah. whatever your situation might be. Um, or it could be something as simple as, you know, I'm, I'm going to send you takeout dinner next Tuesday. So just put that on your calendar, you know, just to, like be very <laughs> direct and specific about what it is that you're, that you're offering. Yeah. Yeah, those are amazing. Um, And I'm really glad that you called out uh, really that self-reflection and self-evaluation on whether or not you're the person, the right person to be doing um, maybe something a little extra, um, taking that extra step and trying to provide support. Because ideally, we would all be that person that could, you know, provide that community, that support for an employee that's grieving. But the reality is that's not usually the case. (laughs) Um, yeah, exactly. And also, like, when you are the person who's grieving, um, you know, if, especially if you're surrounded by a larger community, there's a lot of people asking, are you okay? What do you need? How are you doing? And it can get really overwhelming. Yeah. And so just having, you know, I, I recommend to, you know, if it's someone that you're not that close to, but you want to show support, you know, as I said, like put a post-it note on their desk that just says thinking of you with your name. <laughs> or like, you know, it could be as, as simple as that to just yeah. say, hey, I'm here. I'm probably not the person you want to talk to, but yeah. I'm here. And I, and, and I acknowledge what you're going through. And, and, I, and I'm, you know, I'm sending my support your way. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm also wondering about Lantern. And yeah, I'm wondering how Lantern has opened up your uh, ideas and thoughts on a larger community uh, who is grieving? Um, anything that you've learned there um, that you think could help other people? Yeah, I mean, I, I think first and foremost, there's a lot more people grieving and who have lost than we realize in our mm-hmm. day-to-day day lives. Mm-hmm. And when you open up about this kind of thing, you almost always will find somebody else who can relate. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a really powerful thing. Uh, I know, I mean, just from, from working in the space and also from, you know, having lost my dad as a kid and that's, mm-hmm. that's a part of my story and it's something I'm very open about sharing. Yeah. I almost always find in a, in a group, somebody say, oh, you know, my mom passed away when I was young, or mm-hmm. actually, you know, my, my partner uh, was diagnosed, you know, with cancer a few years ago, or, you know, you suddenly start to have this connection um, that you didn't realize you had. And it could be, I would, and I find it with, you know, 14 year olds and 95 year olds and everything <laughs> in between <laughs> of, of realizing that you have, you have this shared experience, even if the relationship and the loss could be vastly different you have suddenly this deeper understanding of each other. And so I, I really encourage people if they feel comfortable and they feel safe to do so, to, to be open about, about what you've been through and, yeah. and 
you find new community every day that way. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for providing so much, so many gems um, on something that a lot of people don't like to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, uh, I actually had somebody else in the industry say to me the other day, he was like, uh, we're in the business of discomfort. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> we're, we're constantly facing people who are really uncomfortable with what we do and, and yeah. trying, trying really to, to not just educate, but also just normalize these kind of conversations. Cause I, I think, society would be very different if we, you know, not only pre-plan from like, you know, obviously a logistical perspective and a financial yeah. perspective, but, you know, also by acknowledging mortality, as I said before, you live your life very differently when you do that. And, mm. and you can imagine collectively how different the world would be if we recognize how finite time is and yeah. how precious relationships are and you know, all yeah. of those really important things. Yeah. The work you're doing is so important. Um, like I said in the beginning, my mom is always talking about what to do when she dies. And she's always like, there's a fol folder downstairs in the basement. Make sure you check it out. And I'm like, mom, if, if and when you pass away, I'm not going to be thinking about a folder. <laughs> but go mom, because <laughs> a lot of people don't have that folder. And yeah. then it's a whole bunch of question marks. So well done. <laughs> yeah. And for those who don't have the folder, it's good to know that Lantern is around to be that folder in a way. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Ex that's exactly what we are. We're basically the replacement <laughs> for the binder in the hall closet, which was my, my, my grandmother's example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but we're not done yet. We're moving on to my favorite part of every podcast, which is the rapid fire round. Okay. Uh, the rapid fire round, I think, gives our guests um, a chance to have a little more fun and uh, talk about some things that we may not have touched in the main interview portion. So I'll ask you about 10 or so questions and um, usually have about 30 seconds or so to answer, but no pressure there. <laughs> okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Cool. What's one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the last year? I started using Todoist um, yeah. and I love it. I was a big uh, notebook checklist writer yeah. <laughs> and, and my co-founder was like, I'm sorry, are you writing down your daily to-do list in your notebook <laughs> and, <laughs> and introduced me to Todoist, which is, I mean, it's so simple. It's basically just a, a digital checklist, but yeah. it has that like crisp feeling of ticking something off that just makes you feel really good. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. We use Asana and to mark something as complete, like fills me with joy. <laughs> uh, what's coming in the next year that has you most excited? Ooh, um, we're launching a whole new user experience in September. Oh. Um, I am really, really excited about it. Um, I think it, it's really, it's pushing the boundaries in a lot of ways of, of how we think about end of life planning. And there's a mm -hmm. few features coming um, through the end of 2021 into, or sorry, the end of 2020. What year am I in? <laughs> into 2021. No. <laughs> Nobody knows. Um, that are, are really, I think, going to get people thinking about what it means to end of life plan in, in a mm. new way. Yeah, that's exciting stuff. I'll be make sure to mark my calendar for that. <laughs> In 2022, apparently. <laughs> Time is not real these days. No. <laughs> um, can you talk about a mistake you made early in your career that shapes the way you do things now? Yeah. Um, this is more of a, an, an emotional thing than a, um, like an actual like tactical thing. But um, mm -hmm. I was told early in my career that I was too nice and that I would struggle as a leader to be taken seriously because of it. And at a young age, hearing that 
I, I really struggled to figure out how to a be myself, b be a good person and c like try to follow this guidance of yeah. like, I need to be tougher. I'm not going to get taken advantage of. And yeah. honestly, what I learned from that is that it's not something that I would ever want to do. And what I really try to encourage people when you get this kind of advice, and I think it happens a lot in business is like, you have to be tough. You have to be fierce. You have to, you know, don't let anyone step on you to get where you need yeah. to go. And, and I really realized I was like, there is no excuse in business or otherwise to not be kind to people. And honestly, mm -hmm. like the business world does not need more nasty leaders. <laughs> like there is more than enough out there. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think the best leaders and the leaders that are coming forward and will continue to, to grow and succeed and thrive and lead strong businesses are the ones that are not just authentic to themselves. Um, mm -hmm. Because if authentic to you is being, not nice, then, <laughs> then don't do that. But authentic yeah. to you and in, in, in being kind and, and bringing your, your positive personality forward. Yeah. And I would bet a dollar that a lot of women hear that these days, especially women in business who um, are told that they're too nice to be taken seriously. Um, mm -hmm. And is it because we're too nice or because we're women? Um, yeah. Is a really important question. Mm -hmm. Uh, do you think NGOs can successfully go out of business? I mean, first off, if, if you solve the problem you set out to solve, then well done. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Congratulations. Um, I, you know, I, I'm kind of going to answer this question a little bit of a strange way, but I think it's less like going out of business and more like, should you continue going? Hmm. Or is there a another effort that's doing doing the job in a different way that's that's working that's accelerating? Like I I'm a really big believer that you shouldn't duplicate businesses if hmm. you if it's better to to join forces right <laughs> and to yeah. partner. Uh, I would highly recommend doing that instead. Hmm. Um, and so that I mean that would be I think would be like successful going out of business other than obviously solving the problem you set out to would be recognizing oh there's another organization mm -hmm. that's really nailing this and mm -hmm. why don't we combine our forces focus that that funding foundation funding and grants into one location and really uh, accelerate this process um, I mean you see that in in startup world too it's like mm. you know why is there five thousand different productivity tools being developed and and i think sometimes <laughs> like a lot of times it's ego related it's like wanting to be the founder and the person to start it and yeah. um you know and if you if you can work together to do it i think it makes a big difference yeah definitely um when you have asana todoist uh, <laughs> monday there are a lot of things that could join forces <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, let's just say you had a hot tub time machine that would take you back to the beginning of your work. What advice would you give yourself? Uh, being a good employee does not equate to the hours spent at your desk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to, I felt like I needed to always be available and on and working. And mm -hmm. I remember, uh, someone, he wasn't, he wasn't my manager, but he was a manager within the organization. I started my career. Yeah. And, and, um, 
And he said, he was like, if you're staying after work late every day, like you're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, are you being inefficient? Are you like, are we, are we you know, allocating things in an inappropriate way? Like something is wrong if you're here all the time until 9 p.m. Yeah. And that really shifted my way of thinking of like, you know, you're, you're not going to be a good employee. You're not going to be a good friend. You're not going to be a good partner. You're not going to be a good anything if you're working all the time. <laughs> Yeah. And I think that's especially true now that we're working from home. It's so easy to like wake up three hours before you start work and just start working just because, you know? Yeah. What's something you think you or your organization should stop doing? Um, not taking vacation. <laughs> that is, I, I've been really on my team recently because I think especially with COVID, it sort of mm-hmm. felt weird to take vacation time. And it was almost yeah. a joke for a little bit. We would be in every week in our staff meeting. We say, if we're going to be out at any point during the next week. And we kept joking, yeah. being like, well, where are we going to go? No, I'm not taking vacation. <laughs> and now it's, you know, July. And I was saying to everyone else, like, okay, we can't joke about this. Like everyone needs to take vacation. Even if it just means that you aren't checking you slack an email for a week and you're at home fine like do what you need to do but like everyone needs a break and some space from work <laughs> yeah <laughs> mental vacations are key <laughs> yeah. uh, let's also say you had a harry potter wand for the industry what would it do i think you know as we were talking about you know dying well um earlier I would want to turn everyone's attention and leadership in the industry to really thinking about exploring and contributing to this this massive problem with you know mm-hmm. a lot of people not being able to die well mm-hmm. um, and and really exploring how each of us and what our roles are to to make a positive impact on that problem yeah and what's your favorite question to ask an organization or a board member I, what's keeping you up at night? <laughs> it's, it's my favorite question for people to ask me too, because it gives you permission to be honest about what you're afraid of, what you're stressed yeah. about, why you're anxious. Yeah, I love that. It's a very honest question. Like, huh, what is keeping me up? <laughs> yeah. How did you get started in the social impact space? Uh, I totally stumbled into it. <laughs> um, I actually, I started my first um, nonprofit when I was 15. Mm-hmm. and had absolutely no idea I was starting anything. It was just my two best friends from growing up who I'm still very close with. Um, mm-hmm. We recognized that our peers really didn't know anything about dating abuse and domestic violence, and it affects mm-hmm. one in three young people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we developed a, an organization and sort of a, a curriculum of sorts to, uh, to educate our peers in a, a fun and memorable way. Mm-hmm. And it just started spreading to universities and high schools all around the U.S. Um, and so we kind of went from like, oh, we did this one project to suddenly we run an organization <laughs> and we have all these <laughs> chapters. And um, so it, I mean, but truly it made me realize that I, I don't think I could ever work in anything that wasn't mission driven. Yeah, that's amazing. What's a piece of advice your parents gave that you did or did not follow? <laughs> uh, stay in your job with good health insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Did you follow I, or I, did you not? I did not follow it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I when I was starting Lantern, my my beloved stepdad was like, "I don't understand. You have such good benefits at your job. Why are you leaving?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think a lot of parents tend to feel that way when if yeah. their kid says they're going to do a startup. <laughs> it's yeah. like, are you sure <laughs> you want that instability in your life? yeah a lot of guests have said that they did not follow that advice so (laughs) you're not alone there (laughs) 
Uh, and my last question and probably my favorite question is, what advice would you give college grads looking to enter the social impact sector? Um, I mean, I would give this advice to anyone entering any sector, uh, and that's that someone doesn't have to lose for you to win. Mm. Uh, I think it is so important when you are starting your career to recognize that uh, you don't have to step on people to get where mm. you need to go and that you should elevate each other's work and support each other. Uh, it's only going to get you further. Yeah, I love that because it can be, it can feel like crabs in a barrel sometimes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, that concludes my rapid fire round. Thank you so much. That was Thank so much you. fun. <laughs> so where can people find you? Um, you can find us on Follow Lantern. Uh, it is at Follow Lantern on social media. And then lantern.co is our website. Awesome. Yeah, guys, you should really check it out. I did a little homework this time and they have a lot of really great resources. Some that I didn't even think about, like how to close a Verizon bill. <laughs> Yeah, it you know it's funny that you brought that up is uh Verizon Bill truly haunted me for months uh -huh. after my grandmother passed away. I could yeah. not figure out what account it was associated to. I was getting a debt collector was coming after me trying oh, to close gosh. this account, but every time I would call Verizon, they couldn't find it. And it was just <laughs> it was a mess. So I love that you brought up closing a Verizon account because I'm like, I just got chills when you said that. <laughs> yeah. Debt collectors are no joke. <laughs> no, nope. they, yeah, they're persistent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thanks again, Elizabeth. This has been a blast. Thank you so much. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com slash university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you.